Father in heaven, this morning we come to you grateful for a new day, grateful for the newness of life that you give us every day. And Father, as we spend some time here as uh, individuals responsible for leadership in our church, in our churches, there are some times when we have to face some pretty challenging issues. And oh, that we had all the answers, but we don't which is actually a good thing because it makes us more dependent on you. And I pray that as we have a conversation about these issues today, that your Holy Spirit will guide and direct what we do and that you will be present here to teach us, give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to be willing to work through these issues in the best possible way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's see. Tom, you're not close enough to see that thing, but you keep an eye on it for me, okay? Does it look like it's working all right right now? Is it running? Okay, Mike, you too. I'm just picking on Tom because he saved me yesterday, so <laughs> I hope it doesn't run out of, out of memory today. I haven't had a chance to check it. So today, we want to talk about discipline issues, and we want to talk about... Um, conflict. I have approximately an hour and ten minutes to get two of the most challenging subjects into place here. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to let you, ask you to let me give some content here to start with. And I'm going to try to do that content in the first 45 minutes or, uh, or so here before I go on. And then if I can get that content to you, that was good, really good. If I can get that content through to you, then anybody else here needing this? Thanks. Um, then I'll give you a chance to ask some questions and all. So will you hold your comments? And your whatever the comment or question might be, write it down if if you want to share it. But please, um, if you'll let me get through this, then I will uh, I'll give you a chance to ask questions, and we'll try to work through some of that this morning. All right, fair enough. And that way, I can be sure to be able to. I'm going to need to do this this morning. Yeah, my wife told me this morning she needed it, and I did not prepare it the other way, so I thought, she's not even doing presentations with that. Hey, but no, I'm not blaming it on my wife. <laughs> I'm not blaming it on my wife. Yes, I am. <laughs> Just call me Adam, I guess, huh? <laughs> no, it's not her fault. It's Microsoft's fault. Yeah, blame it on the other person, right? Okay. So, let me bring this up here really quickly. All right. First of all, when we are talking about the issue of discipline, and that's where we're going to start, I really want to stress with you today that discipline is redemptive in nature, or it's not what God wants it to be. Are you with me? Now, I don't have time to do a redemptive discipline seminar, but we do 
uh, redemptive discipline seminars. I learned from Elder Gallimore the principle of what he calls redemptive discipline. And it's not a new term to him, I'm just saying it's a seminar that he does. And I sat in his classes for a number of times, and then I asked him, will you give me permission to also teach that? And, uh, and he said, yes, and I have that material, and I share that in a seminar. I'm not going to do it here today because it takes more time than I have here to, to do with it, but I'm going to share some of those principles with you today and help to, to bring about that emphasis. But please understand that when you... That's interesting. Um, when you and I are dealing with the issue of discipline, it is not for the purpose of punishing people. You understand what I'm saying? It's not for the purpose of punishing people. It is for the purpose of redeeming people. We're trying to save people, not get rid of them. God has no value in us doing that because that isn't why Jesus came here. He didn't come here to figure out how many people he could get rid of. He came here for the purpose of saving souls. Am I right? Here's the, here's the major point that I want to be able to stress to start with. God has high standards. Yes or no? Okay. Does God expect His people to live to the lowest standard or to the highest standard? Okay. We're not perfect human beings, am I right? But God does want His people to grow and develop. Because we're human beings, we tend to reach to the lowest standard. What is the least that I need to do to get into the kingdom of heaven? Rather than, what is it that God wants me to do? What is the best way that I would be able to represent Jesus? What does He want me to do in my life so that I can uh, uh, live for Him and be the representation for Him that He wants me to be? Great, thank you. Because God is holy and righteous, His church has set high standards of moral and social behavior that reflect the character of God. Those standards that the church has set, some people will say, oh, okay, so the church gets to set the standards. No, it's based upon the Bible. We set our standards by the Bible. We don't just say, okay, let's see what we should... No, we go by the Bible. We look at the spirit of prophecy. We say, what is it that Jesus is trying to tell us He wants us to do? These standards are based upon those principles. They are eternal and they're unchanging, just like God is eternal and unchanging. Every person baptized in the church promises to follow these standards. Stop and think about that for a moment, and you'll remember that you took baptismal vows. What? Baptismal what? Amen. Vows. vows when you were baptized. And everybody who is baptized in the church has that vow. Does that vow mean nothing, or does it mean something? Well, it depends on what you and I do in our lives. And, and this is where your responsibility as an elder comes into play. It's easy for us to want to say, all right, let's be nice and let's be kind and let's be, you know, whatever. Yes, we should be nice. 
Yes, we should be kind. Yes, we should also be leaders and understand that if we put the, the standard down here, when God has put it up here, we're not doing God's work. And He expects us to do the work that He's appointed us to. And that work is to hold up His standard and help people to give themselves to them, Him so much so that they are able to um, allow Him to have control of their lives to reach that standard. I'm not talking about us trying to work our way to heaven. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm doing a seminar in the afternoon on the Exodus and the Advent movement. And part of that seminar is talking about the tremendous lessons of faith that God was trying to teach the people. But when he brought them to the point of Mount Sinai, he had to teach them two main points. He'd already been trying to teach them a lot of things about faith. First of all, he brought the judgments of the plagues on the, children, on the uh, Egyptians and showed that if they would trust him, he could fight this war for them. How many swords did they have to wield in order to get out of Egypt? How many people did they have to kill? Not one. How many people died? Quite a few. But who took care of that? The angel of the Lord did all that. Then they got to the Red Sea. Did they have to make boats to get across the Red Sea? Did they have to fight the Egyptians behind them? God took care of every aspect of that. They get out into the wilderness and they make their way to the Mount Sinai. He's already taught them lessons of faith, but they're still struggling with it because they start complaining at every little stretch along the way. They get to Mount Sinai and God reminds them of the law. There's your standard. God says, all right, are you going to be obedient to my standard? You know what? They were pretty impressed with his display of power. And they said, yeah, 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 we will. <laughs> right? And they said that they would be obedient. Another lesson that God needed to teach them was, yes, obedience was appropriate. No, they were not capable of being obedient. And so, as he establishes the law for them, including the Sabbath and the other kinds of things, and then immediately they, they will fall down and worship the Baals again, and the commandments get thrown on the, on, the, uh, on the ground by Moses, God is now trying to teach them what the plan of salvation is all about. And he built a whole sanctuary to teach them the whole plan of salvation, the whole lesson of salvation, that their salvation is not in their power and their strength. Their salvation is in their faith in the blood of Jesus. But at no stage did he ever said, you need the blood of Jesus, forget the Sabbath. You need the blood of Jesus, forget I told you not to murder. You need the blood of Jesus, forget you can worship any idols you want to. He never ever said that, did he? He said, I want to teach you that you need to be dependent on my blood and through my blood and my power and my strength in your life, you are going to be able to represent me and live to the standard and represent me in the world. And God wants the same thing for his people in this day and age. All right, that was a quick summary of the afternoon thing. If you want the details, buy the DVD, okay? But the bottom line is that's what God is trying to help us with here. And as elders and leaders in the church, it's our responsibility to be considering our task in doing this work. Does the church have to correct a member who has seriously broken God's law? What do you think? Don't answer that yet. How does the church treat members who are not living up to its high standards? 
Again, the issue is redemption, not punishment. Jesus is constantly trying to redeem people. When Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, he said, where are your accusers? He wasn't saying, it's okay, it was all right to do what you did. Was he? He said, go and do it no more. He forgave her, neither do I blame you or accuse you, but go and don't do it anymore. Redemption was the process, was the issue. She was redeemed through that process. If anybody was rebuked, it was her together with the Pharisees because they wanted to punish her. Correct? But Jesus did not ignore the sin. Jesus never ignored the sin. He corrected the sin and helped people to move on to the level of Christian life that he, that he expected of them. So how does the church deal with these issues? What are the steps toward correcting the wrongs of members? When and how should the church discipline its members? That is the question that we want to be able to address a little bit today. So I want to start by sharing this with you. The issue here is, first of all, that a soul is valuable enough for Jesus to die. That includes that obnoxious person in your church who is just terrible and lies and sins and whatever. It includes the individuals who make mistakes in your church who don't do the right thing, but they do it accidentally. All of them are children of God. But we don't have to condone their sins by inaction. And that's what we do a lot of time. We think that we are being nice and kind, when in reality what we're doing is we're destroying that person. We're enabling them to continue on in that open rebellious sin. When there's somebody in your church who works on Sabbath and you just ignore it, you're letting them know it's okay to work on Sabbath. The only problem with that is, is it okay for them to work on Sabbath? Because God says it's not okay to work on Sabbath. So you're taking a stand in opposition to God's stand. You're saying it's okay to do that. That's really what you're saying. When you're not doing anything about it, you're saying it's okay. Inaction is the same as action when it's inaction that demands action. Bob? Yeah, okay, I'm... I'm not going to try to get into nuances there. We can try to do that a little bit later, perhaps. But certainly there are things that have to be looked at, and, and that, that's times when you start asking those questions, and at times seeking counsel, even on the level of the conference office, just to be able to work through it. But the bottom line is, whether saved or unsaved, God's love is the same for all people. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. So whenever the church needs to take action concerning a member who has fallen into sin, let each one of us be reminded that Jesus gave his life for that erring member just as much as he gave it for us. So, because we are redeemed and we are saved, we want to work in the same way with, for other people in the church and say, you know what, I'm a sinner just like you but I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm not saved by works. I'm saved by grace. 
but I'm coming to you to extend that grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ellen White says in volume 7 of the Testimonies, human beings are Christ's property, purchased by him at an infinite price. How careful then should we be in dealing with one another? I think we make two basic mistakes when it comes to dealing with issues of discipline. The first one is to be harsh and not remember this reality. Christ expects us to treat people kindly and carefully. Now there are times when you are dealing with problems in the church that are difficult and hard. I don't care how you handle it, somebody's going to misunderstand your motive. Somebody's going to misunderstand your action. And the first few times that you do this, if you've never been involved in this process of discipline in the church, you are going to find that you might even make mistakes. You say, I could have done that better. There's something I should have done differently. And I didn't do that. And so you're going to need God's special help as you go through this process. Once in a while, we have to say we're sorry. The word is okay. But we need to be willing to admit it when we do. But the fear of making a mistake should never lead us to do nothing. Because the end result of that is more destructive than the action that we would take because it affects the whole church down along the line. But by God's grace, we need to ask for wisdom so that we work together as a team and come up with the best plan of action and work as Christ would work, dealing kindly with one another. In volume seven again, page 266, if wrongs are apparent among his people and if the servants of God pass on in indifference to them, they virtually sustain and justify the sinner. I wasn't making it up. This is coming from the pen of inspiration. It's a word to you and to me of the task and responsibility that I have. If you are an elder in the church and you fail to carry out that responsibility, you are showing indifference in relationship to this individual and you are virtually sustaining and justifying that person's actions and are like guilty and will just as surely receive the displeasure of God for they will be made responsible for the sins of the guilty. Anybody would like to resign from being an elder? I'd encourage you not to do it because if God has called you to that point, He will give you wisdom, grace, and love to be able to carry forward this work. This is just as important a work as it is giving a Bible study and leading somebody to Jesus Christ for the first time. Why? Because you may be extending that person's growth. I'm not maybe, you will be extending that person's growth in their relationship with Jesus. They may have joined the church and they may have had strength and, and, and all, but now they've started to get lax in their relationship with Jesus. And because of their laxness, their lack of a devotional life, and their, that kind of an experience, they are starting to fall away from Jesus. I had a pastor come to me during this camp pitch and shared a really, what I consider to be a pretty exciting story. It wasn't so much an issue of discipline, but it illustrates what happens to people in their lives and how important it is for us to be supportive of those people in their growth and not in their falling apart. 
This one really lends to more conflict, which I'll talk about later, but it applies here and gives us an understanding of why it's important for us to do this work. There was a lady in the church, and I, I knew who this lady was because I held an evangelistic series in this pastor's church a few years ago. And when, while I was doing this evangelistic meeting, this lady was sitting at the reception desk and she was doing a fantastic job of welcoming those people there. I was really blessed to have her there. I was excited she was there. As we got a little farther into the meetings, near the end of the meetings, the bad, dark side of her started to show up. And she started to get very depressed and very upset about things and very sensitive. And uh, to make a long story short, that was the beginning, and it was a cycle that she'd had before, but for this church, it was the beginning of a cycle that she would participate in, and, uh, and the church was trying to figure out, what do we do with this lady? They could just kind of try to be kind and nice and deal with it, but they finally, they, they talked to my wife, who's a counselor, that was one step that they took, and she said, you need to set boundaries for this lady and help her with these boundaries and help her to know that you love her, but you can't continue to allow her to, part, to have that kind of behavior because it's destructive to her and to the church. So she went through this, these cycles for a while. But within the last six months, she wanted, they held some other evangelistic meetings, and she always wanted to be at the receptionist's desk. But she would go through that same cycle each time. And this last time with Unlock Revelation, the pastor was asked by her again, please let me do it again. And the pastor's saying, oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to go through this thing again. But she came and she did a fabulous job, and there were no problems this time. And he got to talking to her afterwards, and she said, Pastor, <clears throat> for the last six months, I've not missed my devotional time with the Lord even one day. Amen. And it's been Jesus in my life that's made the difference and made the change in my life. That's what you want to be seeing in people, whether it's through conflict or whether it's through... Uh, uh, discipline type issues that's the kind of experience you want you may take a stand that feels very painful to you at the time but years later those people may come to you and say thank you you saved my spiritual life when you do what's right for the right reason in the best possible way God will lead you and he will help you with it but we do not want to take the risk of God speaking of us in this light. The seriousness of sin cannot be ignored. It cannot be allowed to continue in the congregation. Because the longer it stays there, the more it spreads and the more difficult it is to deal with. One of the reasons we're having a hard time dealing with these kinds of issues in the church is because we have ignored it so long it's systemic. You know what I mean by that? It's so involved in the system of that church that it's almost impossible to break that cycle. And only the Spirit of God with a revival and a reformation in that, that church can accomplish it. But just continuing it to ignore it is not a going to allow it to get better. It takes courage to stand up and begin to break that cycle. While gentleness, love, and mercy must be shown to members who have fallen into sin, the church has a responsibility to take action concerning that sin. In the Redemptive Discipline Seminar that, that Elder Gallimore does and I do, one of the places to begin is Matthew 18, and you already know that, right? 
When it comes to conflict and when it comes to discipline issues, there are basic principles that the Bible establishes for you and for me in terms of what God wants us to do and how He wants us to handle it. There are four basic steps that are outlined there in Matthew chapter 18. The action that God wants us to do are not listed on the screen here, but you know basically what they are. Let's list them together in Matthew 18. What's the first step? Okay, you go directly, all right, if you're the person. And so if somebody comes to you and says, I heard that so-and-so and and -and so-and-so is doing so-and-so, or (laughs) such-and-such, What is your response to that person in terms of what needs to happen next? Go and talk to them first. It is your responsibility to go and have that conversation with them. I don't mean you. You're telling that person, you need to do that. Now, a lot of church members have never done this and never had that experience. And that doesn't mean that we should ignore it. We should tell them we'll pray with them and we'll pray for them, and we'll pray with them while they're there, but they need to learn to take that action. We've got to break the cycle of sin in our churches, folks, and we've got to break the cycle of conflict that God has established principles to stop it with, and we refuse to use those principles. We are too afraid sometimes, and and I'm one of those kinds of people. I'm preaching to the choir here. I do not like conflict. This is not something I enjoy. Honestly, I don't enjoy it. Look at my face. I don't like it. (laughs) All right? But I still know that I have a responsibility before God to deal with these issues, and I can only trust that He's going to help me with that. So number one, they must go first, all right? Or I must go first. Let's keep it that way so we don't get too tied up in this. All right, what's the next step? Okay, by twos. So the first time the person didn't listen and said, you know, uh, none of your business, stay out of my life, or it's nice of you to come and tell me, but I'm comfortable, Uh, I'm not going to change, I don't care what their answer is, the next step, I'm going to keep going because I need to keep moving here. I'll take your comments and your questions uh, near the end, just reminding you about that, okay? So we got, you take two in that step and work through that process. If they still refuse to listen and follow that direction, what's the next step? Okay, it's take it to the church. Now, I might include an additional step that's kind of in there, and that is I might go with two or three or four just one more time to try that. But basically, Jesus' method is if they won't listen to you the first time, they won't listen to a couple of people coming there, then take it to the church. And usually when you get to that point, people know you're serious that this issue really needs to be addressed. And in some cases, and I'm looking at, I know some of you that I've worked with on some of these issues, I know that when it gets to this point, all kinds of things begin to happen. They're okay when you're complaining about it because they figure you'll just go away and evaporate. They're not quite as okay about it when two or three come, but they'll still manage that. But about that time, there's some other things that tend to start to happen. They're either listening to you about what you're saying and saying, maybe God's really trying to get my message through to me here and do that, or they start playing politics. 
they'll start sharing with other people. Boy, they're getting upset with me about doing this thing, yada, 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 yada. And then when you start telling them that you're going to take it to the church, then all the defensive guns start to come out one way or another. They decide whether they're going to continue the process of working with the situation or not. Are you seeing a problem there, Mike? Just making sure it's okay. Oh, great. Yeah, that's great. You do that. Okay. Church equals church board. Um, church, yeah, okay, that's a good question. Let me make sure I'm clear of that. Church means process, and I'll deal with the process later. Church means process. And there's a process outlined in that, and I'll come back to that. The last thing is that when you take it to the church, there's still a fourth step. What is it? If you disfellowship them or you censor them, whatever you decide to do, what is the last step? Still. I'm sorry? Still love them and still try to redeem them. You're still trying to bring them back in. You don't wash your hands of them and say, we're not going to have anything to do with them anymore. You want to do everything you can to bring them back to God's church. Uh, disfellowship members should not be removed from the church's love, prayers, and concern. All right? Disfellowshipping to be carefully considered. Now, I don't know if you have a church manual, but I'm going to look up here. I, I, I bought the new one, but I haven't even unwrapped it yet. It's available up in the ABC, by the way. There's a new church manual, so you might as well just take the old one and put it over here on the shelf and get the new one because there's new stuff there, and that's the church manual we now go by. You got a copy of it? It says 2015. That's correct. I just bought it. No, no, no. Here, let me explain how that works. The last one was 2010, and that's this one I've got in my hand. The next one is the 2015, and what that is, it's the date of the actions of the general conference session that established those policies and, and all, and that now reflects that. So that one is good for five years, and it will basically take you through to about this time after the next general conference. So it lasts for about five years with that, and then you go with the new one. But when you go in here and you look under the issue of discipline and working through all of that kind of a process, um, here's a point that I want you to be able to pick up on. There are two ways to discipline a church member um, in terms of what the church manual says, and that's what I want you to see. Number one is a vote of censure. Then second is a vote to remove from membership. And there are a couple of terms there. We use the term disfellowship, but there's something that over time that term has become sounding a little harsh. And so we talk about removing them from membership rather than disfellowshipping you. It's something like the word excommunicating. You know, it just, over time, it sounds pretty harsh and mean, and people interpret it that way. The end result is the same, but that's, uh, that's the, where that particular term comes. I just wanted to see exactly what they, uh, what they were using for that term, so I wanted to pick that up. All right, so I didn't think that it was different than that, but I, there's something ringing in my head, and I was trying to find it, and I didn't. All right, disfellowshipping or removing from church membership must really be carefully considered. And it's not just that Matthew 18 process of three steps. Before you actually reach this point, you want a lot of different efforts there. 
And it may even be that you need to say, look, as elders, we're going to fast and pray for a couple of days for this, this individual because we care about them. That means anybody in your church you're coming to. We should be serious about caring about those people. If, they, if you were about to be disfellowshipped, would you rather that somebody just came along and said, look, we're done with you. All right, we've had it with you. All right, we're, you, you, just, you come to the business meeting if you want to, but we're disfellowshipping you. Or listen, I want you to know that we're moving towards uh, a session at the church in business session where we're going to recommend that your name be removed. But I want you to know that on Tuesday and Wednesday of this next week, the elders are going to be fasting and praying for you. Amen. Which of those two are the ones that you would want for you? So we need to be extremely careful about what we do and do it when there's everything else that we have tried to do within reason has been done. Church manual will help you with more of that. No church officer should advise, no committee should recommend, nor should any church vote that the name of a wrongdoer be removed from the church books until the instruction given by Christ has been faithfully followed. So says Ellen White, page 261 of that same Testimonies, Volume 7. Church discipline should involve love and mercy in guiding all the actions that are done. Ellen White does make the statement, I believe it's in the book Education, and she says that if we are ever to err, we should err on the side of mercy. But the danger of, that, of taking that statement is that we would sometimes extend that far beyond her intent. Yes, we should always be merciful. We should care, be caring about them. But let's be careful that we don't become so merciful that we go to inaction. And that's not appropriate. God wants to help us to balance these things. In our dealing with those who make mistakes, love must guide everything we do. Many feel it is their duty to root out sin in the church. God has not given them this work. Let me explain what that means. God has not appointed us as individuals that need to be going and searching out every nuance of people's lives and trying to root out and make perfect people. That's God's work, not your work. But what we're talking about here is the work of dealing with issues where there's open sin. Folks, it's very, very discouraging to me and disappointing to me when I get phone calls from people who are telling me that this elder in the church is smoking or doing this or he's messing around with girls and other women and all that kind of stuff and he's still an elder in the church. God help us, and I mean that reverently, when we are in that kind of situation and we're allowing that kind of thing to happen. Shelly, I need one more quick thing. In my office, my printer's been printing out more copies for today. Would you just bring those in here for me, please? Thank you. So that is, that is the challenge that you and I face. So whether it's an elder or a deacon or a deaconess or whatever, and these kinds of problems are happening and we're ignoring them, don't you think it's not affecting church members in that church? And some of those people are the young people. The young people say, how can this possibly be happening? I had a young man come to me not long ago and he said, I was just visiting in this particular location here and I discovered this situation in the church while I was there. And, and as he was doing, as he was sharing that, he was expressing his frustration with said, well, that's not right. That shouldn't be happening that way. 
This is a young adult in the Seventh-day Adventist church who has a passion for his church and expects his leaders to be leading that church. Amen? So let us not think that we're going to save our kids by ignoring these problems. We're not. We're going to make the situation worse and we won't be doing what God is asking us to do. The presence of a pastor is essential in working through discipline. And the reason for saying this is you would say, yeah, okay, I get that. What's that all about? Well, what that's all about is this. It's not the responsibility of you as an elder, head elder or church board or whatever, to do this without the leadership and the role of the pastor. If you happen to be, tween, be between pastors and you don't have a pastor right at the moment, and we've had some of our churches that have had to go like six months or nine months or even a year without a pastor as we've tried to work through that process of finding the right person for that district. I hope that doesn't happen to you, Mike. <laughs> but if that should happen to you and you get into a situation where this needs to be dealt with, you need to bring in the conference to help you with that process. You can't handle that board meeting or that business meeting on your own. That is not the work that you have been given there. No individual church member has the authority to disfellowship a church member, and the church board does not have the authority to do that either. This action can only take place in a regular business meeting. All right, now I'm going to share a couple of things that are not in your notes, but I would like to encourage you to take those notes. And I'm going to try to write some of this down here on, the, on this board here so that you can uh, get advantage of it. No, that's from yesterday. Yesterday? Yes, I, that she, that's the one she just brought. I, I didn't. Some did and some didn't. I think that's maybe what happened. So... She was bringing some from yesterday so that we had that, because I had some people that were short. Pardon me? Okay. Yeah, some haven't. She's getting the rest. She's bringing them in. Okay. This is yesterday's. Yeah, that's yesterday's. She said, I told her to bring those ones in for that were printing, so I'm hoping that she will do that. Let me outline a couple of things that I, from the redemptive discipline seminar that I think are just really vital. I've given you the foundational principles of Matthew chapter 18, and we would do well to really talk through all of that, but time isn't going to allow us to do that. My 45 minutes is gone, but I want to share these basic principles with you. Redemptive discipline means that you have a plan in your church that's not last minute, but you're taking steps to do it. And one of the things that is really important in this is that you have a board of elders with a plan. And that your strategy and your plan is that whenever a situation of discipline comes up, that you're going to work through it with the board of elders and that you're going to have a strategy to do that. Now, this doesn't happen to be in the church manual, but it's not out of keeping with the spirit of the church manual. I want you to know that. The church manual doesn't say this, but Elder Gallimore has been teaching this for a lot of years, and I implemented it in the last church that I pastored, and I encourage churches to do the same as well, that your board of elders be your first clearinghouse for this process. Simply doing the Matthew 18 steps, but there's one little piece in here that's very, very helpful. And that is for the Board of Elders to be able to take an initial action prior to the church board 
and the church and business session taking a vote of censure or a vote of uh, to remove from membership. And that is what Elder Gallimore calls a period of grace. So let's, let's say for a moment that you have a deacon. And uh, this deacon is, uh, is, is struggling in his spiritual life. And it comes to your attention, to one of, your, one of the elders in the church, that there's something wrong in the marriage. And for a lot of people, that's going to be obvious because that typically those kinds of problems are not whatever. But most people just kind of, you know, try to stay out of other people's business and everybody has to kind of work through those kinds of things. But somebody comes to you as an elder and says, you know, I just saw Deacon Jones having lunch with a woman that wasn't his wife. And I'm concerned about that situation. What should happen here? And that person says that I've talked to him a little bit and I'm a little concerned about it because he's kind of denying what's going on, but I'm really concerned. Working through an appropriate process, that person has talked to them, but working through an appropriate process, they... Uh, it comes time for you to go and talk to Deacon Jones. And when we're talking to Deacon Jones, he says, look, I, 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 there is a problem in my marriage, and, and I'm seeing this other woman. Now, you've got a choice at this particular moment, because you can tell by the circumstances that there isn't anybody else in this church who knows about it. And even, let's make it easier so it doesn't get real complex here. Let's just assume you find out about it, but nobody else knows about it. It's, maybe it's even a non-member who comes and shares it with you because you happen to have that interaction with him. There's nobody in the church, no one in the church, that knows about this situation. But you start working with, the, with Deacon Jones, and Deacon Jones is resisting your attempts to say, you need to stop this problem. You need to change this situation. Notice that you didn't immediately bring it either to the board of elders or to the church and board in session or, or to the business meeting. Why did you not do that? I'm sorry? Matthew 18. But what's your goal? You're trying to save him and, and the marriage to say nothing of what it will do to the church if this becomes public, Right? The goal is redemption here, and that's what you're trying to accomplish. But you work with him for a while, and he's resisting. A couple elders go there, and he's resisting. But you're still containing it within the church. Usually, the board of elders is a small enough group that you can keep this well-contained within yourself. Let's say there's four or five elders, and he's still resisting this. And it's not over a long period of time, but it's over a relatively brief period. But he's not following counsel, and he's not allowing God to be in control of his life. So you take it to the board of elders, and you say, all right, we have a problem here, but let's still keep trying to save the situation, and let's keep it contained. And so you say to Deacon Jones, you're a deacon right now. We're going to ask you to step down from being a, uh, for temporarily here, voluntarily you're not forcing them into that action because only the church can, board can do that and only the church and business session can take them out of office. But he can voluntarily step down, correct? Mm -hmm. 
Okay? So you go to him. That's good. That's old technology. Stands up to it. Um, and, uh, and you say, look, we're going to put you under a period of grace, but we want you to voluntarily step down there. But we're serious. This period of grace is a, is a warning to you that you need to get your life with Jesus in, 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 into shape. And you need to change this relationship with this woman. You need to break it off, and you need to get help for your marriage. And you need to start working on it. And all of a sudden, Deacon Jones says, you guys are really serious about this, aren't you? You really do care about me. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God is able to get a hold of his life and begins to turn that around. And at that point, everything starts to fall into place. Maybe you're fasting and praying, and that's probably why it will turn around, because that's what it takes to turn these things around. You, as your elders, you're fasting and praying for this man and for his wife and his marriage, and, and they get into counseling and they save their marriage. Is it necessary for you to take them to the church board and to the church and business session and punish them? No. Why? Because the goal was redemptive discipline. Okay? Maybe that's a f just kind of a fluke here. I'm actually not taking any comments right at the moment, uh, uh, Becky, because uh, I'm trying to get through my content. I'm going to take some comments. Okay? You weren't here, so you didn't know that. So it's okay. Thanks. So... My, my point is to help you to recognize that your goal is redemption and you want to try to accomplish that task. So my, the first thing is a board of elders and a process here. But the way that you implement this is you take it to the church and get it approved through the church board and a business meeting. Okay, how'd you do? That's okay. I had I had already gotten a lot out. So Oh, that's a fine. Okay, we'll get more before we get done. Pass those ones out. Bob, you know what to do with them if you would take care of that and get that around. So do you understand what I mean by this? This idea of a period of grace you take to the church board, not, not, not when you got a problem, okay? Like... Go home and do that if you decide that that's what you want to do and do it now. Don't wait for a problem to come up. Start already that process where you're establishing that. If you need help with it, call me. I'll be happy to help you and even come to your church and help to work through that with the elders and all that. But you elders decide that you want to do this, then take it to the board and say, this is what we would like to do. It's not, we're not some, uh, we're not replacing the manual or overthrowing the manual we're taking this step for the purpose of redemption and we want your approval for us to be able to do that if we run into problems and that period of grace does not solve the problem it comes to the church board and then they take that action and then we go to and also you'd get the approval of the church and business session in order to do that and then you're on solid foundation with the church you understand why we did that right you're looking at me with a very blank stare do you get what I'm saying? Okay. How many of you understand this, honestly? Okay, all right, good. All right, did I see a hand? Yes. Do this before there's an issue. Yes. Get this procedure set up. Yes. Set up ahead of yes. That's what I'm saying. Do it ahead of time, okay? Understand that process. All right? Now, here's what, I, here's what I'm... I'll give you... I will come back to this. I really will. I've got one more section that I need to do, then I'm going to open up for questions, Okay. I know, but it was, pro it, was in, it was in relationship to the process. Okay, is that what you wanted to share? That I... Well, I just wanted to uh, ask you, you said he was just eating the 
Yeah, see, I don't, I don't want to get into those kinds of details right now. That process I didn't mind dealing with. I know I'm being kind of a little dictatorial right now, but I've got a lot of material to cover, and this is my last day to do it, okay? So if that's all right, we'll keep going here. So this is your process that you use in the redemptive discipline process, and it helps to begin to move this to be redemptive and not punitive. And that's really an important part of the process. Another time for redemptive discipline class, and we'll work on it. All right, I want to go into the other section, and that is resolving conflicts in the church. I want to talk about that, and then hopefully I've got a couple minutes here. I only got about six slides, and see if I can get through them real quickly. In conflict, the same principle of Matthew 18 applies. All right? So I'm going to. Um, I'm going to kind of skip over some of the details of this in, in relationship because conflict and discipline work very similarly with each other in terms of applying Matthew 18 and working with individuals. There's one ingredient I want to add to this, and I've been teaching the, de the deacons and deaconesses about this in the afternoon, and the principle that I want to establish right now here is this. Your deacons and deaconesses, biblically, were established for the purpose of resolving conflict. You, I am encouraging you to utilize the deacons and train your deacons and deaconesses to be your solvers of conflict so that you are able to be about prayer and the preaching of the word and the work of ministering in your community that way. Are you with me? That is your major purpose, not solving conflict. So work with your deacons to establish them in strength. I've got a whole seminar I've been doing with them and teaching them about their duty as deacons and establishing that in that particular way. All right, you've got your notes there. You've got the principles of Matthew 18. I want to remind you that forgiveness is a biblical principle. Amen? And the biblical principle of forgiveness is, is one that we want to be teaching our members to incorporate. A lot of conflict could be ended if people would be willing to forgive one another, okay? And that's a very important part of what we're trying to do. There are biblical tools for resolving conflict and working through these issues. One is communion. You know what? We tend to take communion as kind of a... Oh, it's another communion service. And what, our, what sometimes happens in our church members, they look at the calendar, oh, it's communion Sabbath. Let's see, where do I need to be this week? But when there are conflicts in the church, communion is established as one of those tools that Jesus established for the resolving of conflict. The children, and the children, the disciples were having a conflict on the way to the communion service, Correct. And Jesus was trying to prepare them for the struggle that was coming ahead. And Jesus wants to do the same thing for you and for me today to resolve the conflict that we're in and that we're headed with in being able to do this. The biblical church and church tools that are there to resolve conflict are the church leaders. Those church leaders may be you. And that's the first place to start, together with the deacons. Work out a process that if that conflict comes, how are we going to resolve this conflict? How are we going to work through conflicts if a conflict's come? What steps are we going to take? What training do we need to get in order to deal with conflict? And here's my observation. You can decide to wait until a conflict arises to get your training, or you can train ahead of time. But if you decide to not train, thinking you will never have a conflict, 
you're not living in the real world. And you already know what I mean by that. The church manual is a tool also to help you to know how to work through conflict and resolve that conflict. We human beings don't like good process because we like to get our emotions involved in things and allow our emotions to control what we're doing. But God doesn't want us to do that because we're going to destroy each other if we continue to work in that manner. Ellen White says, and it's quoted in the church manual, this was uh, probably a couple church manuals ago, but anyway, she says, Christians should make every effort to avoid tendencies that would divide them and bring dishonor to their cause. It is the purpose of God that his children should blend in unity. Do not expect to live together in the same do we not expect to live together in the same heaven? Those who refuse to work in harmony greatly dishonor God. And ultimately, people who are not willing to unite and work in unity ultimately should be disciplined in the church. Go back to the first part. You with me? Biblical and church tools. Last quotation here. Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 59. She says, If matters of difficulty between brethren are not laid open before others, but frankly spoken of between themselves in the spirit of Christian love, how much evil might be prevented how many roots of bitterness whereby many are defiled would be destroyed and how closely and tenderly might be the followers of Christ to be united of Christ be united in his love god is calling upon us to work through the issues of conflict all right one last piece here and then i'm going to open it up okay there is a book written by a non seventh day adventist lawyer but he's a very solid book uh, christian and he bases his work of peace. He's called um, The Peacemaker. And it's by Ken Sand. Ken Sand, S-A-N-D-E. And if you're bored and have a time this afternoon, I'm going to share an example from that book. I don't have time here. In the deacons, deaconess class, uh, one of the individuals has the book. I have it on my computer as well. But I don't have time to do it today. But it's, uh, you can get it on e, uh, as an e-book. You can get it as a, a printed book in Christian bookstores. And I recommend it because he has some really good principles there. So does Ellen White in the Bible. I, you know, I, absolutely, they're there. And we have tools that are there, there too as well. But this is a succinct focus on this process. And I encourage you to get that book and use it and even read it as, as elders. I know there's a lot of things I'm giving you to share with your elders, but you need to take some steps along the way and do it. Ken Sand, The Peacemaker is the name of the book, okay? The Peacemaker. The Peacemaker by Ken Sand, and that's S-A-N-D-E. So if you're looking it up online, you get the spelling right so that you be sure that you're able to find it. An excellent tool and an excellent resource, and utilize that. I'm happy to work with you in trying to help you work through some of these issues, but I want to see if there's some practical examples here that I need to work with you on. Now, you had a comment, uh, Merv, and I'm willing to take that. Okay. Okay, that's one of the reasons I like to do this because that keeps me on track. What I was going to say is before you go to the individual on your own, take at least one or two more members of the church with you. Okay. That's what I was say. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, except be careful what you're doing in that process because you don't want to involve those people too soon. Right. Okay? All right. Yes, please. Could you explain? So he was eating with the woman? 
Here's my point. I'm being very succinct and very brief in my example. And it, the illustration may not stand on all three legs and, and, and work out real well. My point was something came to light that indicated there was a problem in this man's uh, marriage, okay? And, and I'm going to tell you, honestly, if, if, if a married man is having lunch with a married woman or a, or a non-married woman, but it's not his wife, that's not a really great thing. I know it happens in business settings, but it's a really dangerous thing to be happening, okay? But if I'm an elder and I happen to see the deacon having lunch with a woman, and I go and talk to him about it, and he says, you know, it was a business meeting and so on and so forth, I'd say, okay, I understand that. I'll leave it there. But I want to warn you that's a really dangerous thing to do. She's not your wife. And then I just leave it there. Done. But if that is the first clue that it's a problem, and as I delve into it, that deacon starts to tell me that he's having uh, an affair or, or that his marriage is in trouble or those kinds of things, then that's when I would begin to do the kinds of things that I'm outlining here. So your question was the right one to ask. It just was, I wasn't trying to put too much on that situation, uh, except to say that it was just kind of an initial step and a time to try to get into it. But I'm really glad you asked it, because I'm recording this, and if somebody kind of got the idea, oh, really? So the first time they have, I got, you know, no, that's not what I meant. I'm just saying it begins the process, okay? Observation, I'll come back to you. You know, uh, if we've worked with fellow brothers uh, and pastors, elders, eventually we have a difference of opinion. I mean, if we're sincere and, and we're passionate about what we do. And uh, I have literally seen where uh, very positive things is when two brothers, a pastor and a lay person, purposefully met with each other with the idea of resolving and it turned out very, very positive. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you, you saw a, a difficulty arise, you recognized that situation, uh, or whoever, and, but they, people got together and were able to resolve it and solve that problem. Okay, praise the Lord. Now here... You actually have a better relationship after that experience. Good. Now here was what, here's what I was afraid you were going to go to, and I'm going to take advantage of that opportunity. What do you do when your elders can't agree? Okay, what do you do when your elders don't agree? So let's say you've got five elders in your church. And you come to a situation, and, and let me give you some scenarios that actually exist out there, all right? Um, let's say that there, there's someone in your church who is um, teaching false theology, not supportive of uh, Ellen White, not supportive of all that, and they're leaders in the church. They have an official position in the church, and you're having that difficulty and that problem in that situation. So you start to discuss it with the elders, and you take it to the board of elders. You haven't established this period of grace, but you, you do take it to the board of elders, and you are working through that issue there, and then the elders don't agree about what steps to take. What are you going to do? Okay? What are you going to do? Call Royce. Call Royce. <laughs> And, and, and to a certain extent, yeah, that's true. But of course, you're going to work with your pastor on dealing with that. And I'm assuming at this moment that your pastor is in that. So I'm only making that observation to make sure that it's clear. That's one of the things that you're going to do. But the second thing is you as a board of elders 
have got to work on those issues and say, look, where are we going to be on this issue? Because you've got to deal with the issues that were on the screen here a little while ago. So let me ask you a question. How strong is your church going to be if you, one of your leaders in your church doesn't believe in Ellen White and is teaching other people the same thing? Okay? How long is your church as a Seventh-day Adventist church going to stand? So you and your elders have got to deal with this. You've got to confront your, your, each other on this issue. If the elders say, but I just can't, I just can't do this. I mean, it's not possible for me to do that, I, I, whatever. That at some point, now I'm making a really bold statement here, and I know it's going to get me in trouble. It just absolutely will. But I'm going to tell you, I believe this. At some point, if you do not have the courage after a period of time to stand up for what God has called upon you to do, then you better get out of that position because you're not allowing God to use you to deal with that issue. And he, you're just like Elijah. Elijah didn't like it, <laughs> but God still expected him to do that. And we've had that problem ad infinitum with the illustrations here. Okay, I'm going to take quick comments, and, and then I've got to wrap this all up. Okay, Merv? Becky, right? You go by Becky, Ron, Rebecca. Rebecca, okay. Go on. Rebecca, Becky. Okay, all right. Go for it, Merv. What I'm going to say is that I love my wife very, very, very much, and I tell her every day. Good. It's on the recording, so that's good. <laughs> well, you can play it back to her then. Okay. But if she was to see me having lunch with another woman, it would not make her jealous at least. Okay. Because I love her that much. Okay. The issue of jealousy is not the issue. No. The issue is what's the danger to the human heart? When you start doing intimate type things with somebody else's wife or a woman who's not your wife, and you start having those conversations, there's a being out there known as the devil. And the devil is working in that situation to try to turn your heart no matter how much you love. And I don't want to get in that discussion. I'm just making the observation. I'm not saying what happened to you. I'm only saying don't let it happen. Becky? Bruce, uh, we're having some issues in our church plant and our family. And we need help. I need to talk to you. Okay. Then that's how we work on those kinds of issues. When you're dealing with those kinds of situations, that's why you have ministerial directors. That's why you have pastors in order to be able to try to help to work through those issues and to try to provide counsel and direction. We can't solve every problem, but we try to move in that direction. So, folks, I've opened some tools to you today. I've not solved all your problems. Um, I hope you didn't come here with that hope that I was going to do that. But here's what I'm also saying to you. What, uh, what we have also, also observed that if you're facing some challenges in your church that you feel are beyond you and beyond your pastor or you're between pastors, that's why I'm here and I'm happy to work with you. Now, I've had a couple people already come to me, so my schedule's starting to get full in relationship to that, but I'll be happy to connect with you here as I'm able to, to be able to have some discussions in relationship to any issues that you may be facing. If I don't get to you and can't schedule you while I'm here, I do work at the conference office and you can get in touch with me 
and I'll be happy to connect with you. If it's urgent, I'll then I'll ramp it up. If it can wait for a couple of weeks, I am taking a little bit of time off here, a little vacation time after camp meeting, and I'll be happy to do that. So you have to decide whether it's urgent. If it's urgent, I'll deal with it. If it's not, then I might put it off a little bit, but I want you to continue to connect with me. But we are here to help you work through these challenges and these problems. Utilize these tools, utilize the church manual, utilize a book by Ken Sand and, and being able to do with conflict, and, uh, and discipline, don't walk away from it. Ask for God's help, and he will help you sort that whole issue through. Thank you all. I really have enjoyed having you here. It's been a great uh, time together. Thank you for joining us uh, here at Camp Meeting. God bless you in the rest of your time here in the seminars and the meetings. And uh, keep praying that the Spirit of God is poured out continually here at Camp Meeting till it's over, and that God keeps the devil away. Ron, thank you for praying the devil would not be here, and we don't want him anywhere in relationship to these issues. So we want uh, God to be here. And by the way, he took care of the technology, so praise God, right? Amen. And that's because the devil doesn't have that control. So let's have prayer, and uh, we'll conclude. Father in heaven, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for your kindness and your mercy. In being willing to help us, even when we don't have the courage, you gave courage to Elijah. We know he was a man, uh, a human being just like us, because after winning a great victory, he ran like a scared uh, puppy into, uh, into hiding, and yet you were patient with him. You will be patient with us, but you also will give us courage as you gave it to him. I pray that you will help us in these duties of working through discipline and conflict, and that end results will be that the church will be strengthened because we stand up for you and rest upon you as, your, as our helper and our guide. As we leave this class, please go with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.